The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. China, 1.4 billion people. It is a huge consumer market, which for the better part of the last few years has been in varying degrees of COVID lockdown. A few months on from the Chinese government's decision to abandon its COVID zero policy, that consumer market is back and it's pretty much making up for lost time, tapping and swiping away and it is hungry for quality produce from around the world. So imagine if you could figure out what the next must-have items would be in a market that big and if you could use that knowledge to somehow connect global suppliers with Chinese consumers. What does it take to do that? Well, today we're going to ask the man who created a company who is doing it and doing it so well. Their stocks smashed the ASX small caps ladder recently, up a massive 125% at one point. You're going to wish we did this podcast last week. I know I did. Welcome to Stock Insiders. I'm Christina Morrissey, and our guest on the show this week is Brian Carr, creator, managing director, and CEO of RuLife. And he and his team, have cracked it. Brian, welcome. How are you? Good. Thank you, Christina. Great to speak with you. And let's see, look, the timing's pretty good with everything that's happening in China right now. So it's a fantastic opportunity to explain the business uh, to a, sort of a new group of investors. Brilliant. Well, before we get into that, let's get our investors comfy with you. Background check first. How did a geologist uh, create a fully integrated digital marketing and consumer acquisition service? Yeah, well, if you sort of sat out and planned it from the beginning, um, you probably wouldn't get there. But I mean, the logic is that uh, applying uh, some of the software techniques um, around the, you know, that come out of exploration and mining, initially into transport planning, and that and that took us into the Beijing Olympics, or me personally into the Beijing Olympics, providing an Uber type solution for uh, visitors to China. Um, that was back in two thousand and eight. And, um, you know, moving on from there was developing a relationship with China Mobile, so needing SIM cards and being at the very early stages of mobile payments. So the first billing directly on mobile phones was happening to SIM cards. That evolved into, you know, what then became WeChat Pay and Alipay. So billing directly directly to people's mobile phones, things we accept as, as routine now. Um, this was early days for that. And then the logical extension was buying more expensive goods. So the very early days of e-commerce um, and China was running ahead of the world at that stage. So being ensconced in China, seeing people you know, buying things routinely on their phone, and it was an extremely attractive market for international businesses. Everyone was looking at saying, okay, I want to get into that market of 1.4 billion people. I don't know how. Um, and having the sort of uh, the guidance of us as a market entry partner um, mm. really defined what that opportunity was and how you would get into the Chinese market. The name RuLife, how did you decide on that name? Um, work, well, it's working backwards. One thing that, that Australia and Australian products have always, uh, they've always been held in well regard in, with Chinese consumers and in China. And that is still very much the case. We positioned ourselves to portray that good uh, Australian connection very early on. And that was working backwards from there saying, we want to make sure that people, uh, shoppers in China, see us as an Australian producer, an Australian company. So back to your platform, what is it actually doing for customers looking to get into that overseas market and, and not just China, but all overseas markets? 
Um, we've, we run all things. It's a complete end-to-end platform. So connecting a brand from their domestic market, how do they get their product into China? How do they get the registrations, the approvals, the digital marketing? The way that products are positioned and marketed is very, very different in the Chinese context to what we would be used to. So we manage the full end-to-end and we become the brand, the exclusive brand representative in the Chinese market and do all things from marketing at online, selling it at online stores through to establishing and getting into channels in, in China, such as um, you know established stores like Aldi or there's the Ole supermarkets are well known as top end in China. And most recently with Herma, so the Alibaba um, supermarkets, both online and offline. So our role is completely to become the brand in China and to make sure that there's uh, successful sales uh, platforms yeah. and, and path for them. Now, uh, we led with the percentage increase of your stock price, up 125% at one stage. And by the time we go to air, who knows where it will be sitting. Tell us about that the tart little drink that's done wonders for your bottom line and you've introduced in the manner that you just you just explained. Yeah, it's a, it's a great example of a successful Australian company that many people will probably be aware of called Remedy Drinks and their kombucha. Um, and the interesting tale behind that is, it's a, it's a market leader in Australia. Um, it's it's getting very good market share around the world, but uh, taking it to China was really you know starting from scratch. Although sort of you you read the history of kombucha is invented in China a couple of thousand years ago as a product and a drink, very unknown initially, but it plays to the the what we're seeing around the world where people are looking for healthy alternatives and they want healthy food and beverages remedy drinks is perfectly placed for that it's a you know it's number 1 in its own domestic market it's run by a very good group of business people um, and so it's a perfect relationship for us to be able to take that into such a market uh, as china Brian, when you choose a product to bring to the market how do you go about it how do you know which one's going to get the traction well, I, that's a very good question, is that everybody wants to sell into China. Not everybody can be successful, um, but brands who are successful in their own domestic market is a very good indicator of their potential in China. Also fitting the right space uh, in terms of the right dynamics for us, their health, well-being, food and beverage space is, is perfect, perfect timing now to go into China. Um, but it's about seeing the professionalism and success in a domestic market um, is a key indicator for us. And we look at it back going the other way as well. So what we're seeing on the ground in terms of what are people looking for, what sort of products are, are they searching for, um, and they do ta- Chinese consumers do take a reference from uh, Western markets. They do look what people are buying uh, and what is successful in those countries. So we look to match the, the demand from, uh, from both sides. So shoppers looking for quality products and quality products looking for new markets. Now, you weren't up and running for long, were you, when COVID hit? What were some of the strengths that Rue Life had and, and uh, had to trade through that uncertainty? Yeah, we were about, uh, we were about a year into our business um, when obviously COVID hit and it affected businesses around the world. We were probably better positioned uh, than most in terms of uh, we have an office on the ground in China. We do engage with our office. Or we did engage routinely, remotely. What people do now um, you know, is the new norm of being on Zoom and team calls. We were very much doing that day to day. So we were quite adept at operating remotely. So we were well prepared for, the, for those sorts of changes. But we also saw a major uptick in, in interest internationally from companies looking to sell into China. So it was 
those uh, brands initially at uh, the outbreak of COVID had seen their domestic markets affected and, and shut down. And at the same time, China, China was rebounding. So we're an e-commerce operator up and running in a, um, a strong market in China. And that was highly attractive. And we engaged internationally with brands and people from around the world that we'd never physically met, which is becoming more of a norm. But at those early stages, it was, was an unusual sort of business process. Well, were there any positives out of COVID for your operating model? Um, there's the there's pros and cons. Um, we saw surging demand, so we knew that you know there was more people sitting at home in China, and even new markets being created. So some of the elderly who were used to walking down to the markets and buying their food, it was incumbent upon them to start shopping online as well. So it created a new market. So we were seeing great demand, great demand in the health and wellbeing space, but conversely, we were having we were challenged by. You know, supply chain issues as everyone was you know sometimes ports were closed down sometimes entire cities were closed down so we'd had surging demand but then logistics challenges to to service it there has been a lot of negativity regarding trade and china so after all that negativity about china during covid what's been the main challenges for you operating in china or any other challenges in fact you found for the business generated from your decision to operate in that market um so from a from a business perspective, um, we never saw any adverse uh, impact of, say, for example, the we are reading headlines in the newspaper about you know the China Australia trade war. From our perspective, you know, aside the fact that eighty percent of our products and, and revenues come from brands outside of Australia, we never saw any negativity towards Australia from Chinese consumers. Um, so in our business, I mean, we, we grew the business during that period of time from our first year of 700K of revenue to three and a half to nine to $17 million last year. So the numbers would say um, that we were doing very well in that market. I would say there was more a perception from investors that, that there was a, a China associated risk and, you know, that, the, that uh, they were no longer buying products from, from Australia or Australian companies. Um, the actual numbers, official numbers would say otherwise, and our numbers would say otherwise. Mm. But you had other countries happy to go in there and, and take that punt. Yeah. Well, I, as I said, look, yeah, we see um, China is a, an attractive market for everyone around the world. Everybody wants to access to that 1.4 billion people and a, you know, an incredibly fast-growing um, middle class that's becoming wealthier. Um, we see it as, you know, it has been a great opportunity for many years and we expect it to be a great opportunity for brands for many years to come. You mentioned some figures a second ago. Your balance sheet, I had a little look, is pretty impressive. How, how does the model you have work? Uh, so, and can you explain how Rulife has traditionally generated income? Yeah, so when we represent a brand, our, our, we, we, our revenue model is, consists of um, annuity recurring uh, fees for um for service fees to operate and represent the, the company and to operate and manage their online e-commerce stores. And we're a digital marketing company. So there's digital marketing fees as well to do all of the promotions and, and bring customers in. And then we also uh, sell the product on behalf of our, our clients. So we take a margin on the products as well. So you have a fixed recurring annuity fee structure. And then we also have the variability of product sales as, as, a, as a brand evolves and sales increase. Can you tell us a little bit about your strategic partner? I know he's a bit quiet. I'm, I'm sneaking in here with this question. Daniel Love, who is he and what does he bring to your brand? 
so Daniel Daniel Love um, is a, a key investor in the company, and I and Dan's interest in the company it comes out of for himself being um, you know sourcing product and being on the ground in China and seeing what the market opportunities in China and getting a real sense for the opportunity there. Um, I think that he had a great appreciation for what we were doing as a business. He saw what growth we were achieving, and he could also see what the growth potential for China was. So, you know, as a as a West Australian to have that exposure to, to China, um, you know, was a great way for us to connect, and, and it's wonderful to have his support um, as a shareholder. Yeah. Now, you mentioned health, well-being. What are Chinese consumers looking for, and where are they? Where are you sourcing the evidence from? Is it observation, just operating in the market? Uh, we work very closely with a range of online platforms in China, so we do see what people are searching for. Um, we do see what um, you know. There's uh, what brands and products that Chinese consumers are reaching out to source from overseas and to initially bring in into China through sort of individual um, parcels and things like that. What we uh, do is to run a very um, a very high level and um, professional market entry for these brands. So when we see that there's demand, we know when we approach a, a company whether there's a fit or not for their product in China. And we also have a good sense for um, what channels we have that could take that product in, into China. Mm-hmm. So um, there's no shortage of, of companies that want to sell to China. We have criteria that says, are they of the right level? Have they got the right um, success in the domestic market? And then conversely, on the China side, how many people are looking for those products and what similar products are they buying? Yeah. The linking those buyers with products is is one thing, or the products into the market is one thing. Tell us about the latest bow in your quiver that promises a higher percentage of the revenue stream. Yeah, what we've done is we've taken the learnings that we have um, over many years of identifying the uh, products which people are searching for. We're seeing what the growth trajectories are for particular products. And we've launched our own health and wellbeing brand called Vora. Now, Vora is about being good for you, good for the planet and good for business. So importantly, it allows us to react very quickly to surging demand that we see on the China side. Um, under our own brand and our own development to be able to bring those those products to market. And we've launched with good greens and, uh, and plant-based proteins. And the logic behind the selection of those products is such that we've seen the growth over the last few years and the projected growth over the next 10 to 20 years is huge, not just for China, but for the whole of Southeast Asia. So plant-based proteins um, and healthy foods as a whole, are a real growth area. We know that we've got a a customer base that we can sell those products to. And obviously, when we own the brand, we're we're retaining a greater margin. So that's the logic and the thinking. And we're very excited for what we can do with this product over the coming years. Now, you haven't launched that products that you've developed straight into China. Why is that? Yeah, so the the theory, and this is exactly how we apply it to our, the same rules we were saying that we apply to being a successful company, a successful brand to enter into the China market is to ensure that that brand has good recognition and good achievements in its own domestic market. So we're following our own set of rules. We're making sure that we launch Vora and it's successful and it has visibility and validation in its own market, i.e. Australia, and then we will launch the product into China. 
So what's been the response from the Australian consumers? Because when, when did you launch? Was it Octoberish last year? Yeah, so we announced the launch end of October and we sort of ran through the production process through the latter half of, uh, of the year and we're now online and selling and we're starting to get some really good traction. Um, and so we'd be looking to report to the market how those sales are going over, over the coming quarter um, and very quickly looking to then take the product into our next market into China. So when, how long do you think that will take? Uh, the launch into China we're expecting to do over the coming months. So we, in the next two to three months, we will be uh, you know, confirming that we've launched into China and, and the sales that are being achieved from the brand. Bloody clever, Brian, frankly. Any other products in development? Uh, not currently. We want to make sure that we are successful with the, the core offering. Um, we're constantly looking at what that demand uh, looks like driven out of the China uh, market predominantly. And then we will start to continue to, to supplement those, uh, the range of products under our bore of name. Well, you keep it fairly simple, the number of products that you, you're going to be offer, offering initially? Yes, it's exactly mm. right. And we see that as our, um, our experience in dealing with all product ranges. It's very much the 80-20 rule. We don't want to be a supermarket uh, with thousands of products and SKUs. We want to focus very strongly on the ones which are successful and can be successful and be very focused in our delivery. Yeah. See, look, mentioned a couple of times already during this chat, your stocks have just soared. How much upside do you see in this company? Why would you invest in Real Life, Brian? I think that if you looked at um, RLG in comparison to many peers on the market, we are very, very cheap as a, as a market cap that's been uh, moving originally from $5 million um, up to $8, 9000000 million. Given the growth that we're achieving, the market we're operating in and the uh, growth trajectory ahead of us, we think we're a, an incredible investment opportunity for people that really want to get exposure to a high growth market such as China. One that is going to be is a net importer of food and health well-being products, and will be for many years to come. It's a it's a massive market, isn't it? It certainly is, and that's a, and that's the logic and the reason why we're there. Brian, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Christina. Really good to speak with you again. And I'm actually really impressed that we managed to get some time with you to have this conversation in light of that that surge in your stock prices and the latest inking of that those deals. So we know you're busy. I just I I, I know there's a lot of people out there kicking me literally. I wish we'd pinned you down earlier. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Matt. I know you're catching planes, talking to people all over the country and in Asia. So, as I said, we really appreciate you sitting down to talk to the Stockhead crew today. We'll be watching. We'll be talking about you. And uh, team, as always, remember D Y O. Uh, dive in, do your own research. I'm Christina Morrissey and you've been listening to Stock Insiders. <laughs>